DiscerningHearts.com presents Inside the Pages, insight from today's most compelling authors. I'm your host, Chris McGregor, and I'm delighted to be joined by Laura Finucci, who is a wife, mother, writer, and director of the Communities of Calling Initiative at the Collegeville Institute of St. John's University. She earned her Master's of Divinity from St. John's School of Theology and her BA from the University of Notre Dame. She writes about faith and family life at Mothering Spirit and her nationally syndicated column for the Catholic News Service. Laura is the author of several books, including Everyday Sacrament, The Messy Grace of Parenting. With Laura Finucci, we go inside the pages of Grieving Together, A Couple's Journey Through Miscarriage, co-authored with her husband Franco and published by Our Sunday Visitor. Laura, thank you so much for joining me. Thank you so much for having me. It's great to be here. On this particular topic, grieving together a couple's journey through miscarriage, I want to say it's a delight to the extent that you open a doorway through something that is so painful, and yet it's a doorway to ultimately joy. Is that a fair way of describing it in some ways? Yeah, it's it's funny. I mean, people will say to my husband and me, well, are you glad you wrote the book? And we sort of look at each other like, well, of course, we're glad we wrote it, but we wish we never would have had to write it. I mean, we wish we never would have gone through that, or we wish this kind of suffering didn't even exist. But yes, I'm deeply grateful, I guess, is always my word to think about ways that I do see that God has, has led us to work through our suffering to bring comfort to other couples and, you know, to really see the joy in our life now, even after all that we've been through, to to see and appreciate that in ways that, you know, we might not have if we hadn't gone through all that. So yeah, it's definitely a, it's a double-edged joy alongside the grief, for sure. It is an an experience that I haven't experienced it myself. I'll say that right up front. But I do know several who have. It's almost as though you want to put it away somewhere in a closet. It's not possible for others to understand the experience fully that you've gone through. Is that fair? Yeah, and I think, oh, I absolutely think so. I think it's a really, I think it's it's challenging for people who have gone through this kind of loss to talk about, but it's it's hard for other people who haven't to hear it or to know what to say or what to do about it because I, mean, I think it does go back to that fact of it is an awful kind of suffering and we wish it didn't exist. And it's always hard to know what to say to someone. I mean, I still fumble for words and I've thought and written about this so much, but when a friend goes through this, I always think, Oh God, give me the right words. I just, it's so hard to know what to say in the face of someone's pain. And so I think the mistake that we've all made myself included in the past is to, you know, maybe not bring it up because you think it might make someone sad or, or try to encourage a friend and say, well, you know, maybe you can try again or, you know, now you know you can get pregnant. You know, people say those kinds of things because we do want to give each other hope and encouragement. But I think our challenge as, I mean, especially as Christians who want to, you know, weep with those who are weeping and who are called to, to be with those who are grieving is that we also just need to let people be in that hard place and and acknowledge their pain and let them tell us their story. So that can be a challenge both for those 
who have gone through it and then those who, who haven't, but, you know, do have others in their life who have gone through that. Laura, your book, Grieving Together, A Couple's Journey Through Miscarriage. I have to say, this absolutely should be available at every parish. They should have stacks of these and passed out to those who have experienced this because a, a pamphlet or even a small little booklet doesn't do it. I guess I didn't appreciate the depth of how this mystery how it can penetrate the lives of those who have experienced it. Yeah, I'm amazed when I've gone out and I've spoken in parishes about it. I always have parents, both mothers and fathers, who will come up to me after the talk and say, you know, we lost a baby 30, 40, even 50 years ago, and they can still, you know, they can tell me how old that baby would be. And, and I can see that, especially in generations past, many of them, you know, that was not acknowledged. The doctor, maybe if it was even a stillbirth, might have just, you know, swooped the baby away and didn't even let them see the child. There was really a thought of, you know, let's just move on and try again. And we're just not going to think about that. Um, but the depth of, of how that loss really does stay with people their whole lives, I think, is something I hadn't realized till I went through it too. I mean, I thought, well, if you had a miscarriage, but then you got pregnant again, like, I mean, that's the happy ending, right? Like that kind of fixes it. And that's so happy. But, you know, especially as a church that believes that every, you know, child in the womb is a human being, is a beloved child of God, is a son or daughter of that parent. You know, we don't just, that wasn't just a pregnancy that was lost. That was a life, a human life that was lost. And so, you know, hearing other parents' stories, what they've carried around for decades. Um, and, it's, and it's always been with them. It's shaped their faith. It's shaped their family and the kids that came after, if that's what happened. Um, it, they have taught me how it really is. Um, it's a powerful experience that it's not one that people forget about or, or get over or move on from no matter when it happened. And Laura, I think you bring up something very important in this, the depth of the experience, the depth of the pain, of the grief, not just for someone who has a strong faith life. For many of us, we will have maybe encounter those in the workplace, uh, neighborhood, friends who don't have that faith life, but they have experienced this. Do you think that part of the experience that we have today in being able to talk about it and to express it has been shadowed in a, a real way because of the abortion discussions and the experience that we've had in the last, oh my gosh, over 50 years. Dealing with that and then the experience of miscarriage, it's almost as though you, you can't talk anymore about the child you're carrying within your womb. Yeah, what's interesting is as I was listening to you, I was thinking, in some ways, I've often had the opposite experience. I've had the experience of, you know, journeying alongside maybe a friend or a coworker, whoever it might be, someone who's not a person of faith. And the, and the fact that they lost a child before birth, and they realize the depths of that, like they, they don't push that away. And they realize, you know, that was a baby. That wasn't just a clump of cells, right? Like, maybe I saw that baby on the ultrasound or 
as soon as I saw the pregnancy test, I knew that was a baby. And I think it actually can be a place that I've started to see some people in my life kind of move a little bit if they were, you know, in a, in a camp that I'm not in around the abortion issue where they're starting to say, wait a minute, like that was my baby. And, and so how are my beliefs on this other issue that I just think is a political question? Can that be changed by that? So I actually am hopeful that there are places where the fact that we're talking more about miscarriage helps us to see, you know, the reason that this impacts mothers and fathers so deeply is because that was a child that is their child and so you know it doesn't make a difference like if that child was wanted or not like our wanting the baby doesn't get to determine if it's a human or not so so can that be a place where we start to say yes we're with you in your morning because we really believe that is a full human life that's a person right and so we're going to grieve this with you and and what's interesting too is I've often also heard from Catholics who've gone through miscarriage who struggle with the fact that, you know, their parish might be great on pro-life activities in terms of like, you know, rosary for life or getting out and, you know, protesting in front of an abortion clinic or, you know, supporting moms in crisis pregnancies, those kinds of pro-life activities that their parish is great at. They say, you know, there was nothing in my parish that acknowledged this baby I lost. Like there was nothing in our pro-life umbrella that talked about miscarriage. And I can remember one woman whose story's in the book and she said, you know, I love the church. Like I've been so involved in the church. I'm a faithful Catholic. I've been involved in all the pro-life stuff. And she said, I actually got really angry after my miscarriages because I felt like, you know, we have all these prayers on Sunday for these babies who are lost to abortion and where was there any acknowledgement of, of my baby who was wanted? And I thought, wow, this is an interesting, you know, it's, it's both an opportunity, I think, for us to say what it means to be a pro-life church, but also a challenge for us to say, let's acknowledge these losses too. You know, let's have it be a both and that we are deeply concerned about abortion. And we're also reaching out to parents who've gone through these losses too. So yeah, you raise great questions. It's really important to think about all of this. In the very beginning of the book, you kind of took my breath away because I didn't appreciate, again, because I have not experienced it. So I can't say I can relate to this or I understand this. So when you wrote What Happens, there was a poignant moment where I just went, oh, I kind of took my breath away when you spoke about how your milk will come in. Now that I can relate to. You know, I you give birth yeah. to a child and your milk comes in and you start lactating and you're going to nurse. I can't imagine what that is after a miscarriage and then your milk comes in. That uh, creates the empathy that you you have to have to appreciate what's going on here. Yeah, that's really beautiful that you say that. I think um, I remember being personally so surprised that miscarriage felt like labor. Mm-hmm. Like, it, I mean, I had a, a miscarriage in the first trimester, but it absolutely felt like labor. And I was not prepared for that. I think anytime I'd, I don't know, maybe I'd read about miscarriage, like in a novel or something, it always seemed to sound like, well, maybe you just had like a heavy period and then that was it. Right. Mm-hmm. And then it was over. Mm-hmm. But I had not heard any real stories of miscarriage before I went through mine. And many women say that it's only after the fact that people seem to come out of the woodwork and you realize, I mean, my grandma had three miscarriages and nobody really talked about that. 
And so I think those, you know, real physical experiences, yeah, they can be a point of, of compassion and empathy because, you know, even if, if you haven't lost a baby, like you said, I mean, you know what labor feels like. So to think if you go through that and there will be no, you know, reward of a baby, a living baby in your arms at the end, I mean, it's, it's devastating. And I think those can be points of connection for us to say, I haven't been through that, but I, you know, have experienced some of these other pieces and, and can that be a place where I can deepen my empathy and compassion for you? I mean, I think that's really beautiful. We're talking with Laura Fanucci about her book, Grieving Together, A Couple's Journey Through Miscarriage. And it is a couple's journey. Your husband, Franco, is co-author. Yeah, he was a great uh, sport. He's a good writer. But when I, you know, I've written a couple books. And when I approached him and said, hey, the publisher really wants this to be for both moms and dads. They really want to know if we'd write it together. And the fact that he was willing, I think I've heard from so many um, you know, fathers or women who tell me this was really helpful for my husband. Like, I loved that I saw him just pick it up and read that one chapter for dads, or he actually kind of took it off my nightstand. And so often fathers, you know, their grief isn't acknowledged. Um, there aren't places for them to, to share their grief. They don't even have the follow-up medical appointments that a woman will generally have at least um, after a miscarriage. So it's really a part of grieving these children that I think we're only now, you know, really beginning to discover and talk about in the ways that dads need to. His sharings, I thought, were so poignant. For women, again, a part of that empathy is that you can appreciate the hormonal challenges as well as the emotional challenges you're going through. It can have its own life expressed so openly for the woman, potentially, but for men, as Franco points out, he kind of grieved in quiet at times like he's driving in the car, he's going to work, he's those moments where he's alone, then it catches up with him. Yeah, and I was struck his stories about, um, you know, people at work would ask him, well, how's Laura? And he would say, well, we are both, you know, it's been really hard on both of us. And they'd say, mm-hmm. oh, but I mean, but how's Laura? You know, is it to say, well, Sure. Yeah. You may be a little bit sad, but obviously she's got to be grieving this more, right? Mm-hmm. You know, some of the stories that he shared in there, they really touched me too. Cause I thought, Oh, you, you hadn't even shared this with me yet before you put it on the page. And so we had some really wonderful conversations where I, I said, I didn't realize that, that your coworker said that to you. That must have been really hard. You know, you'd come home and, and try to be, you know, so strong and supportive for me and the kids at the end of the day. But there, I hadn't always appreciated how difficult it was for him. You know, I think um, there's there's a lot of places where I had women in my life who came and, and really supported me, but he didn't have the same thing, you know, with men in his life. So, yeah, I was really touched by those kinds of stories. The pain is really just as real and just as deep, even though it gets expressed differently. We'll return to Inside the Pages in just a moment. Did you know that you can obtain a free app which contains all your favorite Discerning Hearts programs? Father Timothy Gallagher, Dr. Anthony Lillis, Archbishop George Lucas, Father Mauritius Fildi, and so many more, including episodes from Inside the Pages, can be obtained on the Discerning Hearts free app. 
This also includes all the novenas and devotionals and prayers, including the Holy Rosary and Stations of the Cross, the Chaplet of St. Michael, and the Seven Sorrows of Our Lady, all available on the Discerning Hearts free app. Visit the iTunes and Google Play app stores to obtain your free Discerning Hearts app today. A teaching of St. Paul from his second letter to the Corinthians. We are not discouraged. Rather, although our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this momentary light affliction is producing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison, as we look not to what is seen, but to what is unseen. For what is seen is transitory, but what is unseen is eternal. Hello, my name is Deacon Omar Gutierrez, and I want to ask you to support Discerning Hearts in a special way. We, Chris McGregor, the board, and I all know that not everyone listening can help financially. We know we have listeners from all parts of the world, and we have made a commitment since the beginning to make the truths shared through Discerning Hearts totally free. So while you may not be able to contribute financially, what you can do is certainly pray, but also give us positive reviews on whatever platform you use to listen to us. If it's iTunes, Android, Stitcher, Spotify, however it is that you get these podcasts, or if you're on YouTube and you like our videos, please give us a good rating and write a review. The more good ratings and reviews we get, the higher our profile, and the more listeners will discover us, listeners who may have the means to contribute in the future. Please consider rating us and writing a positive review today. We now return to Inside the Pages. I think the chapter four in the book where you talk about the emotional experiences, my gosh, I'm just going to run down real quick. I mean, whether it's anger, shock, failure, guilt, isolation, emptiness, jealousy, sadness. There are going to be people, Laura, right now who just heard that and they're going to say, it was that, it was that, it was that. I didn't appreciate how full this pain, this grief can be. Yeah, and I think there's so many ways that each of those emotions can show up in our relationship with God, too. I was amazed at the stories that people shared about that, you know. I mean, deeply faithful Catholics who said, I was so angry at God about this, mm-hmm. like for years. I just didn't know. I tried to pray, I'd go to Mass, but the depth of that, you know, why did you let this happen to us, God? And why couldn't you save our baby? And what are you doing? Like, why, why can't we get pregnant again after this? There's so many really charged emotions. And I think um, the whole range of those emotions can be quote unquote normal. You know, some people it might, their response to the miscarriage might show up more as sadness. Other people, it might be jealousy. They just can't even stand to, you know, go to a baby shower, be around friends who are expecting a new baby. It's just too hard. So I think um, understanding that, you know, the way someone responds to this kind of loss, it may be really different from what we experienced or what people in our life experienced, because there's so much that we each bring to bear on our experience of grief, you know, whether it's the kind of losses we've been through in the past or, you know, what our temperament is like. If we're an introvert, our grief will look really different than if we're an extrovert. So I think um, 
understanding that, you know, and not just in miscarriage, but in all kinds of of loss that people do grieve really differently. Mm-hmm. That was really eye opening for me as we journeyed with these other couples and did a lot of research in, in writing the book. That was really helpful for me to. It shouldn't be that unexpected, is it? even that you would feel guilt that somehow you would think, is there something I did? As I said, I haven't experienced miscarriage, but when we received the diagnosis, our son was autistic. I went through that same list. You feel guilty. Did I do something? Is there something I could have done? Did I make a mistake? Is it coming from me? It's all those kind of things that pile on to a person. Christ, we encounter him, yes, in our prayer, but we encounter him in the reception, in the love from others. But if the others don't know how to respond, how can that come to us? Yeah, isn't that, that's all so true. I think we have that sense as parents that we should be able to to care for our children, right? And control mm-hmm. what happens to them. And, and we want to give them the best. And so, uh, yeah, that, that is absolutely what you say about, you know, that diagnosis for your son, it does connect so immediately to say, yeah, did I, did I deserve this? Did I do something wrong? Could I have changed this? You know, it's just that the love of a parent, I think can show up in that kind of anguish and anxiety too. And I think, I think knowing that we can bring all of that to God in prayer is is something I, I wish I could share with every couple that goes through this because, I mean, you look at the Psalms, right? And that's that's like the prayer book of the Bible, and those would have been the prayers that Jesus himself used in and in prayer. And so you think, you know, in the in the Psalms we get all those emotions. We get anger and guilt and shame and sadness. And I think to free ourselves up to say, you know, we can bring all of that to God. There's none of that. We need to be afraid, you know, that, that God will, will judge us for that feeling. I mean, it's just, it's an emotion. And so to know that the Psalms sometimes I think give us the words to say, you know, lament is prayer and, and even, you know, bringing our, our anger to God, the fact that we're acknowledging God's existence and saying, God, help me with this. I'm so angry. I'm so jealous. Um, I, I think that that can be such an important message for those of us who want to care for couples who've gone through this loss to say, you know, that God does deeply care for you and you can bring all of this to God. There's nothing that you need to hide from God or, or nothing that's, that's so, you know, far gone that God can't touch it. Like God embraces all of that for you, I think is really important for all of us to hear. Again, we're talking with Laura Fanucci, her book, Grieving Together, A Couple's Journey Through Miscarriage. In this book, you're very practical. As I said earlier, I know there are people that have tried with a pamphlet or even a small little booklet, but I think your work is definitive because to really appreciate what miscarriage is, is to understand that each miscarriage is unique in itself, just as each child that is lost is unique. So the experience of, of the miscarriage is going to be different for everyone. Do you think that's true, Laura? Oh, absolutely. I mean, we have some stories in the book from couples who have gone through multiple miscarriages or maybe had a miscarriage and a stillbirth or infant loss, and each one of those, you can just hear in their words how, I mean, it's never the same kind of loss 
twice. It never gets easier. You know, if you've had a, a, a few losses, they are each unique and each of them is a child that you loved and each of them can, can physically and emotionally happen in very different ways. Um, so that was why we really did want to gather a very wide perspective of stories beyond our own. We just knew that, you know, miscarriage can look so different. And, you know, for example, some couples go, many couples go on to conceive again, but not all couples. And so to live with, you know, infertility after miscarriage, to decide to adopt or foster a child, you know, we wanted stories about that as well, because all of that is part of the experience of miscarriage. And that's why we really did try in the book to say, wow, we want to address everything from, you know, the physical experience of miscarriage and, and the practical questions that come up right as you're having that or right as you're healing in those first few days and weeks, but then also to dive right into like, what does the church teach about, you know, death and suffering and what happens to these babies who we weren't able to baptize? Um, you know, we wanted to dive into church teaching and we wanted to share prayers from the funeral rite that you can use. So we wanted it to be a practical resource, you know, a theological resource and something that would really speak, you know, to the, to the emotions of the couples as well. So we really did try to put our arms around all of that as best we could. And you certainly have. I mean, the thing that, as we discussed earlier, there is a loss of response for many. We just don't know what to say. Instead of saying, I don't know what to say, and just to listen to the person and tell them that you love them and you're walking with them, and is there anything that they can do? Sometimes things come out of our mouths that are not helpful. Can I say it that way? That more often than not, a good, holy intention to try to help, but to say that, you know, God's got another angel in heaven, it may not be the best thing to say. Yeah, so we really, that was actually maybe one of my favorite parts of writing the book, because um, there were certainly things that people said to us that kind of rubbed me the wrong way, but I didn't know how to respond because I knew they were trying to comfort me. Um, and then, you know, over the years, I've had so many parents who've gone through this and said, oh, I can't believe so-and-so said this to me. What could I say? Like, what? That was so wrong. And I thought, okay, let's tackle this head on. So I tried to take on, you know, the things that we all try to say when we're fumbling for words, when someone's grieving, um, you know, God has a plan or everything's going to be fine or, you know, it, at least it was early. At least you can get pregnant. Um, and I tried to just look at each one of those cliches we often say in grief and to say, just like you said, you know what, this this statement comes from a place of love. It hears what the person is probably trying to say, but it might be more helpful to say this or you know, it might be, for example, in the case of people will often say, oh, God, you need an angel, or now you have an angel looking over you. Well, actually, that's not what the church teaches about what happens when we die, and that's not what the church teaches about angels. So when we, when we actually look into the truth of that and what the church teaches, I think there can be a lot more beauty than just kind of a, a quick toss-away line that we might say to someone. There's actually a depth of teaching about, you know, heaven and salvation and the fact that you know, these children aren't angels, but they're, we're going to see them, God willing, in heaven. And we'll have real glorified bodies and that we won't be angels, but that's marvelous. And that's such a mystery. But what a joy to know in some way 
I could be able to see or hold my children again. I mean, that's a huge comfort to me as a parent. So I think the beauty of, of kind of uncovering the truth behind those cliches was something that brought me actually a lot of hope um, as a parent, not just as a writer. So I loved that part, actually. I think that is some of the most compelling moments in the book, too. And for our faith to be able to help us, you mentioned it earlier, the funeral rite of the church and the prayer. Now, when we think of funeral rite, to remember that this is our prayer, our prayer that it anchors itself in our hearts. And that's what is meant to help to heal us through this. So going there and even having those moments where naming that child, acknowledging them as persons instead of just an incident that happened in your life, that's important. Oh, absolutely. I think a lot of parents find deep comfort in that, in that you know, process of naming the child and really, you know, being able to hold that child in prayer by name, to pray for that child's intercession by name. Um, I think, yeah, all of that really acknowledges the personhood of the baby. It acknowledges, you know, the depth of, of what the parents have lost. Like you said, it wasn't just an incident, something that happened, but it's a member of our family, right, who mm-hmm. died. And so we remember them by name. So, yeah, there and and yet, you know, many couples may not know that that's something that other people have done, something they could do. I think, you know, sometimes even in wonderful parishes, we don't necessarily have pastors or, you know, pastoral care staff who have been, who've had any kind of experience with this or any kind of training. So, you know, some priests don't even know that they can offer the funeral rites um, for a child who's been miscarried. But there really are options right within the funeral rites for children that talk about, you know, babies that have died before baptism. So there's really so many options that we tried to point people to in the book to say, you know, actually the church acknowledges this loss, embraces it within, you know, the pastoral care of what these funeral rites are for. And, you know, we, we do want to honor the life of your child and grieve with you and yet pray as, you know, a Catholic community as a body of Christ to, you know, in hope that we will be with these children again in heaven and to trust them to the mercy of God. Um, Yeah. So I think, I think starting with that naming of the baby can be just beautiful um, and very helpful, a small step, but a really big one actually too for parents. There's so much in the book. It's so rich. I have to encourage people a grieving together, a couple's journey through miscarriage but before we end the conversation, the chapter, What Comes Next, I think is so important, especially the, the section pregnancy after loss. If you do experience a pregnancy afterwards, there is a whole range of emotions that you could feel. And it's important to acknowledge that, isn't it? Yes. I had a lot of parents say that was one of the most important sections of the book for them because there, there aren't a lot of resources on pregnancy after loss. And, you know, in particular from a faith perspective to say, you know, pregnancy after loss can spiritually really be a struggle too, because you may be grateful and so thankful that God has blessed you with this new life. And yet you're terrified that you could lose this baby too. You know what that's like after having gone through it. So how can you trust God again that the same thing won't happen? Um, 
you know, how can you work through your anxieties and fears to, to bond with this new baby, to have a healthy pregnancy. Um, yeah, that was, a, that was something that I thought we, we often um, don't talk about what comes next and how, you know, if you have a pregnancy after loss, it doesn't, like I said, it doesn't fix everything. It doesn't just make everything, you know, sunshine and rainbows. Like, this is so great. Now we're going to have a baby. We don't know, you know, how that will turn out. And, and we never forget the experience of loss. through. So how can we, you know, understand that we may respond to that pregnancy really differently than we expected um, to journey with parents through that is really important. And I think also to say, you know, some of the people that, that feel like they get left behind or are invisible, even in our churches, are couples who don't go on to have living children. Um, that can be a tremendous burden because, you know, what does that couple do on Mother's Day or Father's Day? Do they stand up for the prayer when all the other parents get blessed? Because they're parents, right? They know they have these children mm-hmm. that they believe are in heaven, but but we don't see children in their family. And so sometimes, you know, people will ask, like, well, are you guys going to have kids soon? Not knowing that they may have had many losses. So that can all be a part of what comes next, too. And I think to think about, you know, all these different possibilities that, that couples may go through, to think about how can they journey in their marriage through that? How can they grow in their relationship with God through that. Um, I, I felt really strongly that we needed to talk about all of that in the book too, because it's not just about the miscarriage and the loss when it happens. It's about everything that comes next and how that loss and their love for their child will continue to ripple outward, you know, for the rest of their lives after that. Laura, you're a fantastic writer and thank you to Franco too for participating in this work. I also want to encourage people to go to your website, motheringspirit.com. I think it's absolutely wonderful. I didn't mention it earlier, but I I want to now. The Everyday Sacrament, the Messy Grace of Parenting, I know of several people who have that, and they just enjoy it. So I wish we had more time. Any final thoughts? Oh Well, I'm just so grateful for the chance to talk about this. I think that every time we, um, we share these stories or we start to learn, you know, what could we do as the church? How could we reach out to these couples? Or how could I support people in my life that go through this? I think it makes a big difference to, to open up our hearts to the kind of struggles that people are often silently going through. And I think it really can be an invitation for all of us, no matter what we've personally gone through, an invitation to compassion and to the works of mercy that we're about as Catholics. Um, to say that, you know, remembering those who are grieving and walking with them, supporting them um, is really, it's really holy work. So thank you for the chance to share this story. I really appreciate it. Well, your work is very holy work. We're all very blessed by it. And thank you again so much for joining us today. You're so welcome. Thank you. With Laura Finucci, we've gone inside the pages of Grieving Together, A Couple's Journey Through Miscarriage. To learn more about this book or to obtain a copy, go to osv.com, the website for its publisher, Our Sunday Visitor, or you can find it at any fine Catholic bookstore. To hear and or to download this conversation, along with hundreds of other spiritual formation programs, 
visit discerninghearts.com or you can obtain it on the Discerning Hearts free app available at the Apple App and Google Play app stores. This has been a production of Discerning Hearts. I'm your host, Chris McGregor. We hope that if this has been helpful for you, that you will first pray for our mission. And if you feel us worthy, consider a charitable donation, which is fully tax deductible to help support our efforts. But most of all, we hope that you will tell a friend about discerninghearts.com and join us next time for Inside the Pages, insights from today's most compelling authors.